I'm Talib Vizram and you're listening to Fast Break, your weekly source of inspiration and motivation in these uncertain times. We've got a food-themed show for you this week, because what else have you been doing in quarantine but thinking about food? First up, we'll hear how invested Katy Perry is in reducing food waste, how restaurants will stay germ-free after lockdown ends, and where you can learn to chop every vegetable you can think of, and more. This is your Fast Break. Tackling global warming is a notably complex issue that requires several solutions. Some of those can be carbon taxes, alternative energies like solar and wind, or hybrid cars. One other way is by eliminating food waste. Here to talk more about one company that's spearheading this effort, and which has recently gotten some high-profile celebrity backing, is Fast Company Deputy Editor David Litsky. Welcome to the show, David. Thanks for finally having me on the podcast. (laughs) So the company you're here to talk about is called Appeal Sciences. That's A-P-E-E-L. Appeal has created a product that prevents fresh produce from spoiling. It all came about when the founder and CEO, James Rogers, was working on his PhD in materials, and he heard a radio story about global hunger. It struck him as odd because there's such an abundance of food, but then he found out that nearly half of harvested produce in the U.S. gets thrown away. So he came up with his product, which is a thin layer of plant material that covers a fruit or vegetable and slows down the oxidation process so it doesn't spoil as quickly. So, David, what's interesting is that Oprah Winfrey and Katy Perry have gotten involved in this project. How did that come about? Well, as I understand it, uh, from talking to Appeal CEO James Rogers, it was inbound interest from both, both Winfrey and Perry, have longstanding, you know, passion around, you know, addressing climate change and sustainability. People mocked Oprah in the 90s for, you know, basically advocating for eating less meat. And, you know, here we are. You know, Perry, who I had the opportunity to speak to, says that really in the last, I mean, again, her record of sort of advocating on these issues goes back at least a decade, almost her entire time as a celebrity. But she particularly said that her focus and interest around this, you know, took root more deeply about five years ago. And she was very candid, which I appreciated in saying that, you know, she's connected with a friend who's a partner at Andreessen Horowitz, who's an early backer of Appeal Sciences. And he told her that, you know, there might be an opportunity to invest. And that was sort of how the relationship began. Can you talk a little bit about why this maybe seems like an unusual area for celebrities to invest in? So we do, you know, a fair amount of coverage of celebrities who, you know, are becoming strategic investors. You know, there's definitely, you know, been a a wave of more entrepreneurial interest and celebrities want to engage, you know, with startups. They don't want to be endorsers. They want, you know, an equity stake and they want to sort of have more influence than you might have as just a typical endorser. A lot of times that, you know, this just sort of manifests itself as, you know, oh, they liked a particular product, you know, like a consumer brand, you know, a lot of a lot of bottled water startups end up with celebrity ambassadors. And, you know, so it's not, I mean, it's fine, you know, and they can use their platform to whatever, but a lot of times if there's any aspect of sort of social good, it's relatively modest. You know, maybe the packaging is a little better than, you know, your standard you know, plastic bottle or, you know, the source of the water 
you know, it's a little more sustainable than might otherwise be. So I think to see celebrities like, like Winfrey and Perry embrace, you know, a company that ultimately, yes, consumers are the ones buying the avocados or asparagus or whatever, but people who are buying Appeal's product, you know, are farmers and grocers and whatever. And so clearly there represents an idea that Winfrey and, and Perry, you know, sort of thinking more holistically and systemically about how they could put their money and, you know, ultimately perhaps their celebrity, you know, to use around an idea that has the potential of a lot more impact than just a better for you consumer brand. And do you think that Winfrey and Perry are likely to go on to use their celebrity power to amplify Appeal's work? When I talked to Katie, and I call her Katie because, you know, I did talk on the <laughs> phone for a few minutes. Uh, so we're, we're close now. Uh, <laughs> you know, she said she's already, you know, evangelizing about it uh, with people she's speaking with. She didn't feel that it sort of came down to like, I have to do a particular, you know, Instagram story or what have you to make the case for this. I do think that ultimately for appeal, there will be value from having these, you know, relationships. It could certainly help potentially get them into more grocery stores. I think certainly it will just raise more awareness of this idea that, you know, ultimately if you choose this, you know, avocado or or lime or whatever, that, you know, it's not going to rot on your kitchen counter 36 hours after you brought it home because it has this, you know, natural coating that's going to extend the life of it and address food waste. And just for some context for our listeners, how does reducing food waste relate to reducing greenhouse gases? So I'm not a scientist, Dylan, so I'm going <laughs> to just start there. <laughs> but <laughs> as I understand it, you know, I mean, I think there are just there are a number of sort of multiple order effects that appeal, you know, the impact that it has on the, the overall food system. So, for example, apparently, as I understand it, about 40 percent of post-harvest food crops in the United States end up being lost to food waste, right? And it's even higher, you know, if you go other parts of the world. So having something like this can improve, you know, a farmer's crop yield. It can make sure that those products, you know, it changes the nature and the way it has to be shipped. It changes the way that those products, then maybe they don't have to be refrigerated in quite the same way. It's going to help groceries, which is typically, you know, one of the larger sources of food waste. You know, all of these aspects, you know, all these different places through the chain are places where, you know, energy is being expended to keep that, you know, food as fresh as possible, you know, so it's saleable. And this can sort of help eliminate a lot of that you know, energy being expended and ultimately wasted if the food is just thrown out and never consumed by anyone. So that's the, you know, that's the value. Well, this is definitely some food for thought. Uh, I have to say that that pun was appalling. Uh, <laughs> not, not appealing, but appalling. But that's okay. I, I appreciate it. Uh, trust me, I do. <laughs> uh, you know, I could have done better pre-quarantine, but I guess it's really getting to me. No, no, I think that was fantastic. That was exactly, that's exactly what we we're looking for. <laughs> Well, thanks for coming on the show, David. Hey, thank you. One silver lining of working from home is I've been a lot less wasteful from planning exact meals and buying the right amounts of food accordingly. That's harder to do when we're out and about and doing happy hours and dinners out. But it's something to be mindful of when we get back to normal. We'll be right back after this short break. As more and more states start to reopen for business, restaurants will be taking more precautions than ever before. 
In addition to the customary sign in the restroom that tells employees they must wash their hands, some places might also install new technology that will take that one step further. Joining me on the show is Fast Company assistant editor Kristen Toussaint to tell us more about this new development. Welcome to the show, Kristen. Thanks, Talon. So the company behind this technology also created Flippy, which is a robot that takes over the monotonous task of flipping burgers. How did that transition into hand washing? Miso Robotics, which is the company behind Flippy, recently announced a partnership with Passbot Technologies, which is this company that creates these hand scanners that can monitor how effective your hand washing is and how frequently you're washing your hands. I spoke with Ryan Sinnott, the CTO of Miso Robotics, and he said that this partnership was actually a natural fit because of how focused the company has always been on health and food safety. Flippy can already keep track of how long food is cooked and measure the internal temperature of food, like burgers on the grill, which makes sure that you know they're up to safety standards. And having Flippy in the kitchen could also allow for social distancing and less human contact during the food prep process now that we're in the middle of this pandemic. So the partnership with Passbot takes all this a step further by addressing hand cleanliness as well. Miso Robotics has already been looking for partnerships for a while, but the COVID-19 pandemic definitely sort of ramped up that search and accelerated this collaboration. So on top of doing temperature checks and wearing masks, employees may also have to scan their hands to make sure they've washed them well enough. What is that going to look like? The way that Passbot works is that after washing their hands, a kitchen worker scans them under this device which uses a technology called visible light fluorescence spectroscopy, which is similar to how a black light works. That technology works with Passbot's own detection algorithm to identify any contaminants that might still be on someone's hand. This light doesn't specifically identify viruses and bacteria, but what it can spot is the host vectors that might carry a disease. So particles of fecal matter, which could transmit E. coli. The scan only takes two seconds, and then the device provides real-time feedback. So if you pass, you pass. And if it does detect any contaminants, then it tells you right away to rewash and then rescan your hands. This device can also track workers by ID codes, which allows it to collect and provide data about who's washing their hands, how often, and also how effectively, as in you know, how many times they pass or fail that scan. We're in a pretty dystopian era at the moment, but I got to say some of this seems particularly troublesome, especially the employee ID tracking. How will managers navigate that fine line between health regulations and employee privacy? That's something I was definitely concerned with too when I first heard about this, but Ryan Sitton told me that they're really not trying to create a big brother-like system in kitchens. Passbot CEO and co-founder Christine Schindel also told me that this is completely customizable. So employers can choose to look at that individual data or they can track broader metrics like hand washing frequency on a shift level or even weekly overviews. And all that tracking is meant to create a positive culture around hand washing, not a punitive one. So Passbot does these raffles where each scan is an entry and even competitions between locations so, you know, you can track which restaurant washed their hands most that week or something. Well, I feel like most of us could do pretty well in a hand washing competition these days. At this point, we all know how important hand washing is, but how effective will this device be in controlling an outbreak? So something like the COVID-19 pandemic that we're currently in, it might be a little difficult. Like I said before, these devices are limited in that they don't detect the specific viruses or bacteria on someone's hand which would be really important during a pathogen-specific outbreak like the coronavirus pandemic. 
I spoke with Nachiket Vase, a researcher at Harvard School of Public Health who focuses on food safety and technology. And he did tell me that there haven't yet been any known instances of foodborne transmission of SARS-CoV-2, which is the virus that causes COVID-19. So that aspect of the device might not be super important right now. He does still think that this could be a good tool from a social behavior aspect to just make sure employees are cleaning their hands properly. Schindel was actually a biomedical engineer before she started PathSpot, and she told me she started this company because she was so obsessed with hand washing. Once finding out that the spread of germs from someone's hands to food accounts for 89% of foodborne illnesses in outbreaks in which food was contaminated by workers. And that stat comes from the CDC as well. So she wants to make sure people are washing their hands and washing them correctly. And this device is really about minimizing that general risk of transmission of foodborne illnesses. Where are these devices already up and running and what can we expect to see from them in the future? Flippy is currently in a few Cali Burger locations, as well as MLB stadiums like Dodger Stadium in the Arizona Diamondbacks in Phoenix. And PatSpot is also already in a few hundred locations across the country, from quick serve restaurants like Chopped to sit down dining and even food packaging facilities. Their partnership will be rolled out in a new Miso Robotics robot, the second iteration of Flippy that's going to be called Robot on a Rail or Roar, which takes the Flippy arm and puts it on this rail that can move from station to station in a restaurant kitchen so that it's not fixed in one place. So PathSpot will be integrated with that when that's expected to roll out at the end of this year. And then this partnership also comes on the heels of another one Miso Robotics recently announced with PopID, which facilitates contactless ordering through face pay kiosks and also uses thermal cameras to check people's temperatures, which could be used both for the workers coming in their shift that day and restaurant patrons coming in to eat. So both of those collaborations definitely speak to a new way of operating restaurants post-pandemic. And Senate thinks that they'll help in terms of health and safety beyond COVID-19 as well. Well, as if I haven't already spent every day thinking about my first venture back to a restaurant, you've also got me thinking about burgers now. <laughs> well, hopefully they'll be prepared as safely as possible once you do go back. <laughs> Here's hoping. It was great having you on the show, Kristen. Thanks, Khaled. Well, we don't know how long it's going to be until we get back to the restaurants, but until then, a lot of us have been experimenting with new recipes at home. A lot of us have also been following along with celebrity chefs like Alton Brown, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. But sometimes you don't even really need the glitz and glamour of a celebrity show. All you need is the bare bones of a simple how-to cooking video. English walnut. Like most nuts, it has a tough outer shell and the inside is the meat that we're gonna eat. This one's a little bit tough to crack, so we're gonna use our nutcracker. I'm gonna gently squeeze it till it cracks open. And I wanna use not too much pressure, pick away the outer shell, and that's our English walnut. Until then, happy cracking. A lot of people have been sharpening their cooking skills during the quarantine, and I've been enthralled by a YouTube series by cooking brand Epicurious. It's a how-to series, but not just any old how-to. It's the most in-depth, extensive how-to series you've ever seen. With episodes like how to crack every nut ever, how to chop every vegetable ever, how to open every shellfish ever. They're really not kidding about every. The episodes last about 45 minutes and you'll get sucked in and watch all 45. It's all fun and tongue in cheek, but you're actually learning some new skills so that you're not chopping your hand off along with that red cabbage. 
So I encourage you to tune in and go find out what a Castle Franco is. And here are a couple of other things I've been watching and listening to. First up is a podcast episode from the guys at Reply All, the podcast that's obsessed with all things internet. A few months ago, their episode, The Case of the Missing Hit, really blew up on Twitter and led some publications to say it was the greatest podcast episode of all time. That episode delved into a musical mystery, and for last week's episode of Reply All, the guys found yet another one. That episode centers around a guy who happened to write a Christmas jingle three years ago, then walks into a Kroger supermarket and hears his song playing on the loudspeaker. He'd put it on YouTube and maybe gotten 37 likes. How could Kroger have gotten it without breaking music licensing laws, and how would they have even found it in the first place? The episode hooks you in and gets you thinking about things you hadn't thought about in the past, like how do supermarkets formulate playlists for shoppers? Turns out it's a pretty intense process. As the investigation goes on, it's clear that it's pitting one guy's word against another. The music composer versus the playlist curator. And they both happen to be called Brian, which is why the episode is called Brian versus Brian. Everything will be made up on the spot. Every character, every sentence, everything in the universe. We don't know what will happen. We're going to ask the audience a question, a prompt, if you will, and that will be the inspiration for our show. Are you best man? Uh, I don't know that we are. You're my best man, and you do me favor. Yeah. I'm your best man? Yes. It's my first semester of law school. Illegally binding. <laughs> You're a gazelle. You're a gazelle, and you want this job, don't you, gazelle? Are you hungry, you little gazelle? Show me what you eat. I don't want, I don't want Show to Show me this. what you eat. Next on my list is a Netflix show called Middle Ditch and Schwartz. That's Thomas Middle Ditch from Silicon Valley and Ben Schwartz, who's probably best known for his ultra hyper role of John Ralphio in Parks and Rec. The two comedians went on an improv tour, pre-COVID of course, and then they turned three of those shows into Netflix episodes. They create scenes based on audience suggestions and the results are sometimes laugh out loud funny. It's perfect quarantine viewing, good natured and generally positive vibes. In the absence of actually being able to go to a stand up show or an improv show, this is the next best thing. And it's cool to see two recognizable faces doing it. While it doesn't always hit the mark, it's a testament to how hard improv really must be to think on your feet so spontaneously. Is <laughs> That's it for this week. Fast Break was produced by Avery Miles. Be sure to check in with us next week for another roundup of helpful tips and creative ideas to stay positive throughout this challenging time. You can subscribe to Fast Break on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you like this show, please leave us a rating or a review. Thanks for joining us. I'm Talib Vizran.